Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Tennis, it's the staple of the sporting calendar. A trip to Queens, New York for the US Open. It's the last tennis major of the year. Not only does it feature sweltering heat annually, but storylines we don't forget. Many throughout the years, the product of a goat, Serena Williams. As the tournament gets underway this morning, all eyes will be on Serena's first-round match at 11 a.m. as it'll be her last first-round match, no matter what the result is. Her groundbreaking and record-setting career is coming to a close at the venue where she has done it all. Sean Gregory is a senior sports correspondent for Times Magazine and had the honour of writing the cover story, which had just dropped on Serena Williams, and what she has given to the sport. And he's with us on the line now. We're very appreciative of you joining us, Sean. Thank you so much, mate. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Good, good. Good. Thanks for having me. Excited. It's my first uh, New Zealand appearance, so I'm I'm (laughs) excited. I'm excited. Oh, no, we're we're very grateful, mate. I I read that article you wrote in the Times magazine. It was a very uh, inspiring and uh, informative piece that you've written. Uh, For you, writing that and sitting there in the hotel... Just having a real, were you kind of in awe and, and the enormity of what you've, you've heard? And, and does it put into perspective what women athletes really go through to, to play the sport and be, and be athletes? Yeah, no, um, definitely she puts everything in perspective well. Um, mm. She is very honest about what I loved about the interview was her kind of being honest, what she thought her legacy was. And, you know, a lot of athletes, when they get to their end of their career, kind of go to the kind of default answer of, you know, we'll let history be the judge of how I change things and kind of demure and kind of back away from talk about them being the greatest of all time or changing the game. But she took it straight on. And if you read her quote, she's basically, yeah, I brought confidence to people. I, I showed things you know i did things that never could be done before i me and my sister took over a sport and if you want to call me the greatest athlete of all time basically go right ahead and and you know when i asked her you know naomi osaka had said that sarita leaves is the is the greatest athlete of all time male female bar none 
and I asked Serena Williams that. Do you agree with that? And she she didn't say like she didn't agree wholeheartedly, but she also didn't like back away. She made the point that listen, like no one's ever won a major championship while nine weeks pregnant. And that's what she did back in 2017 at the Australian Open. And she's like, so you could come to your conclusion, which was a great line. Like you, we can debate all day who the greatest athlete of all time in any sport is all over the world. And we may not agree, but I love that Serena Williams, you know, made her case. And, and so I was really appreciative of that. And we had, I've done a bunch of interviews with her before. So I wouldn't say I was in awe, but, but I do appreciate the enormity of the moment, grateful that she spent some time with us. And, you know, while I was in the hotel room with her, just, you know, kind of can't believing that she's, you know, being honest and this is it. You know, I've, I've interviewed her. My first interview with her was like 15 years ago. So um, and to just see her keep playing throughout these years has been unbelievable. Something most people never would have bet on that she would have this long a career. Hey, Sean, do you, do you feel like Serena's at peace with her decision to move on from the game? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It is interesting. She did let on that one worry she has is that she already feels like her game is getting better, you know, because she's been, you know, the last year has been really tough. She had a hamstring injury. She's dealing with all this stuff, recovery, and she hasn't played much and she hasn't played well. And she made the point, like, even if I don't win in this U.S. Open, I'm feeling like my game's uh, making progress. So I think she's worried about come like December when for the last 25, 26 years, it's like, okay, I'm going to Australia, right? Like it's, it's, I'm getting ready for the Australian open. I think she's a little worried that come December when that, you know, option isn't available to her, she's going to kind of have some regrets. Um, so, and then I asked her, well, is there a chance you'd go to Australia? She's like, no way, you know, like, so you never know with athletes, you never, never know, but she seems pretty final. She has an investment company that's doing well. And most of all, she wants to expand her family and spend more time with her family and her current daughter and her current daughter, Olympia, really wants a sibling, a sister specifically. And and so she seems pretty dedicated to trying to make that happen. And that, you know, that's a huge and, and part, part of the point of, of her essay in Vogue and what she said in our story was that, you know, men don't have to make that decision in their 40s. They can keep playing where women, if they want to have another child, she did it once and somehow made it back, and she's just, you know, th- doesn't want to do that again, which is totally, totally understa- understandable. Um, it's just one of those situations. Uh, you, you just really put into perspective what uh, women athletes have to go through. You know, mm-hmm. what women have, athletes have to go through their bodies changing and, and, you know, going through pregnancies, hormones, emotions, everything, and then just hearing that story of her playing nine weeks pregnant and winning a major, that is astounding. So for you, what would be her most impressive moment in her such coveted career? Like, what one really sticks out for you? That that stands out for me, for sure. Another one that stands out, because I was there, I was at a lot of her U.S. Open victories, but the one that stands out was in 2012 at the at the London Olympics. Um, she had just won Wimbledon, which was her first Grand Slam in two years. So she was just kind of starting this revival under uh, her her coach Patrick um, from France, Martiglo, who who doesn't coach her anymore. But she kind of once they connected, they kind of had a bit of Serena's career had a bit of a revival as far as winning. 10 grand slams after the age of 30. But anyway, 2012 at the London Olympics, she crushed Maria Sharapova 
at center court in the gold medal match. I mean, you know, totally crushed her. At the time, there was this rivalry between the two of them. Um, you know, Sharapova was always kind of a threat to Serena's supremacy. And it was almost like a statement of like, I'm not going anywhere. And this is what you're going to have to deal with. And she kept winning Grand Slams from 2012 to 2017. She won 10 more Grand Slams, which is unbelievable and really cemented her status, I think, as the greatest, um, you know, female tennis player of all time, greatest female athlete of all time, and arguably the, you know, the greatest athlete of all time, too. Hey, Sean, and when you're talking to people, like you're writing your story and you're out there just talking to, you know, the the people about Serena, how do they all hold her, um, like just the normal people that you're talking to, but also the athletes, mm-hmm. what sort of what sort of place do they hold Serena in? They really revere her. I mean, with all honesty, I spoke to I've spoken to a lot of fans over the years who I remember at the US Open when she was going for the Grand Slam in 2015, she had won the first three majors of the year and she got upset in the semifinals um of that of that tournament 2015 so she didn't complete the calendar year grand slam but at that tournament there were people for i remember from like montana and wyoming all these states in the u.s different countries around the world who just came to new york city to to see serena be around serena in this moment um you know i think she's when you you talk to people about her athletes and everyday people it's it's the inspiration it's an overused word but it's really really real here um she has done a lot of great things under adverse circumstances she you know had you know two embolisms pulmonary embolisms life-threatening embolisms in, in her life back in 2011 and and during her delivery of olympia her daughter in 2017 and she recovered from both of those traumatic events um you know she's been vilified at times you know, at the U.S. Open, it's interesting, her last tournaments at the U.S. Open, she's had some tough moments at the U.S. Open. She's been upset in semifinals. She's lost in finals that people thought she would have won. She had that incident with Naomi Osaka where she had an outburst at an umpire. In 2009, she threatened a lines a lines judge and got fined. And so there were times where she was down. And, and, and during those, after those, uh, you know, kind of, downtime she bounced back so i think that relates to a lot of people and yeah and coming in and doing something in a sport where she was not welcome her and her sister were not welcome uh no one had ever seen two two black sisters from compton california kind of crash the gates of tennis and they got a lot of resistance and they just played through it and i think that that really connects with a lot of people as well so what's our realistic chances what's her realistic chances <laughs> can she go deep into the slam or even win it? it's a you know, somebody made this. I was thinking about this the other day, and somebody else made this point. I covered the U.S. Open in 2005. It was Andre Agassi's final Open. You know, not as much of a United States legend as maybe Serena Williams, but 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 a, a guy who kind of had some tough times in his career and played longer than people expected. And so he had this great run in his final Open. He got to the final. And then Roger Federer kind of really bounced him. I can, I don't think she's going to win. I think that the there's so many good players out there, and they're going to be up for Serena Williams. They're going to want to, you know, I think there's mixed feelings. You probably don't want to be the person who ends her tennis career, but you kind of do at the same time um, because you want to advance and, and get your own name out there. So I wouldn't bet for a win, 
But I would not be shocked at all if she makes it into the second week and gives gives the fans some excitement for sure. And, and that's not to say, and that and that's not to say she might not lose at 11 a.m. your time. It's totally possible as well. <laughs> you know, like you she never goes, know. She goes but on I wouldn't be it. shocked. She goes on and wins it, Sean. I'm on it. Hey, Sean, I just want to go back to you mentioning, um, you know, two coloured girls from Compton smashing down the gates of tennis. Does Serena, post her tennis career, have a a place to play in that uh, sector where she's encouraging, I guess, those kids from Compton or, or places like that to really come out and believe in their dreams? Does she Does she speak about that type of... Um, future? For sure. I mean, I think she's less like, I think her, she's going to have a, she's going to have tennis is going to be part of her life. And I think her main focus is family and as a businesswoman. but, but she, you know, she has a, a nonprofit out in California and her hometown of Compton that, you know, raises money to help communities. And yeah, I think she's going to, and you're seeing this already. You've seen, a long line of African-American players on the women's side, um, Coco Goff, Sloane Stevens, Madison Keys, like a new generation that has followed in her and Venus's uh, uh, footsteps. And I think she's going to encourage that and try to keep that, um, you know, that, that flow of players growing and, and players who, yeah, didn't used to have access to tennis, who now can have access to tennis and, and have, have great careers as well. So I think that's going to be a mission you, for her too. I don't know if you know, Sean, but Coco Golf is coming down down under to New Zealand to headline the ASB Classic Tennis Open, mate. You might have to come on down and do a, write a little piece for her on the Time magazine, eh? Yeah, no, that's at the beginning of next year, correct? It's early? Yes, yes, it is. It is. We're very excited to have her here. Hey, quickly, just on the other side, the men's side of the draw, the Novak situation has been well documented again, which leaves the door open. Who are you tipping? I mean, can you? I think there's a huge sentimental feeling for Nadal. Um, but, you know, Medvedev has looked strong. He looked strong last year. You know, Djokovic got to that. Another, you know, we another thing we thought we'd see was this grand slam that Djokovic was going to have last year. And then Medvedev just kind of kind of kicked his butt. So I, I would I, I like those two. To, to, to kind of to, to, to one of those two to, to wind up on top beautiful mate we appreciate you coming on Sean and just uh, well done on a beautiful piece you wrote for Time Magazine and uh, all the best thank you so much enjoy Thanks and uh, hopefully Serena can finish her US career on the right side of ledger appreciate it mate yeah, it'd, be, it'd be nice to see a few matches get uh, go in the second week but thanks to both of you and have a great day thanks for everything Thanks, Sean. Sean Gregory of the US. Listening to Izzy and Kempe for breakfast on SENZ. 50 not out in that world-famous photo when he gets up on someone's shoulders. Snarky. Well, he's just got out of the pool, so hopefully he's got some kit on. The Allback Sevens lads got up yesterday at the Los Angeles event in an absolute classic with old foe Fiji in the final. It was the perfect way to celebrate. Crack! The Kurt Baker's 50th event, and KB is on the line right now. Kurtie boy, congratulations. How are you, mate? Good, good. Yeah, good, thanks. It was, um, yeah, good, good weekend. Good to come away with a win. 
got the win, mate. You got the job done, and you got well the world famous photo out again, mate. It's been a long time between drinks, so good to get that snapshot at the end of it. Yeah, it was good to get the hoodie off the back. Eh? It was, um, yeah, you're right. It has been a long time between drinks, so you don't want to um, lose your rep too quickly, eh? Hey Kurt, do you, where does it, where does this win rate in the um, in the fifty that you've played? Does it is it right up there? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I know sometimes you get caught up in the moment of you, you know when you've just won, you, you think they're all the best wins you've ever had. Um, but even today, the more I think about it, just just probably the year I've had, I haven't really played a lot of sevens. Um, I was stranded on forty nine for a while, so um, yeah, it probably just panned out how you'd, you know, probably dream it panned out. Um, and even just from a team perspective, the way, um, you know, we, we had to beat some pretty good teams on the way to beating Fiji. It wasn't just, just Fiji. Um, you know, South Africa were going into the weekend leading the World Series, so tipped them up on day one. And then, obviously, that game against Samoa in the, in the semi. So, um, yeah, there were parts of our actual rugby, which which were pretty, pretty exciting too. So, um, yeah, so... I suppose from a personal perspective, yeah, it was special. But I think from a team perspective, it was special for us as well. Yeah, 2020, mate, was the last time you, you, you got your last title. Obviously, COVID and, and things like that. But it's, it's been a long time between drinks. But this, what does this do for the group? You know, the, the confidence and the belief it instills. And Chris Laidlaw spoke about it. But you're two weeks out from the World Cup, mate. So you guys are pretty confident that you can head over there and get the job done? Yeah, well, you know, we've got a different group to probably what we had in, in 2020. So, um, mm. you know, we've got a lot of newer guys. We always say young, but they're actually not that young. So we've got a lot of newer guys that haven't played a lot of tournaments. So for them to um, know what winning feels like, um, two weeks out from a World Cup and arguably the, the most rugby-mad country in the world, um, <laughs> I think it's really important. And, um, you know, obviously it's a knockout tournament, so you lose when you're done. Um, so I think this weekend was probably a good dress rehearsal for it. Yeah, some good form taken in, into uh, into your World Cup. Where, where do the does the team rate and the players that you're playing with at the moment over your career? This current crop. Um, to be honest, I've never really compared different teams that have um, been involved in because there's always you know different pros and cons to every team, I suppose. Um, we're, we're probably a new, young, exciting team, is, is how I'd explain our team now. Um, we play a lot of, probably, well, we have played a lot of carefree sort of sevens of late, but um, I think we're starting to click um, around the way we want to play the game and, and we think what works for us. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I'd compare them to, to other teams because you now other teams mm. have been involved in have won World Cups and Commonwealth Games, I think, so it's probably hard to compare, really. What about the life of a sevens player, Kurt? I know you've you've been around for a long time. You've been in a whole different setup, you know, with with different coaches, different players, legends of the game. But tell us about the life of a sevens player now. Like it's full time, isn't it? Yeah, so we live in the Mount or Mount Monganui, or Tauranga, um, full time. So we're based there. So I suppose we sort of what Super Rugby does. We 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 centralise to one place. Um, so lifestyle is. Lifestyle-wise, it's pretty good. We we live at the beach. We train in the sun, you know, nine months of the year. So it's a full-time full-time gig, which I think is bloody awesome. And I, I really think it's it's got huge 
development potential for, for New Zealand rugby and look at the players that have come through sevens. Obviously, you, you came through it, Izzy, and um, I think it teaches you the fundamentals of just being a successful sportsman, not just a um, rugby player. It's bloody tough. It was bloody tough back in the 08 when I was playing with uh, Gordon Titchens. He used to run all day and make me run around the mountain at the end of the day. So, different range. So, what's it like these days? Because everyone asks the question about sevens training. It was so, you know, hard and, and difficult. It was, it was tiring. So, what do you do now these days to stay fit? What's a, a normal training week like for the sevens boys? I don't know. Like, it's funny. Sometimes we feel like, well, I've been in both regimes, and I think it's just really different styles of how you would explain it. Um, we, we're sort of day on, day off, um, but our day ons are, are pretty full on days, and um, the numbers that boys put out on GPS um, on those days is, is pretty freakish. But I, I'd like to think maybe back in the day with Titch, it, was, it probably would have been the same, but I don't even know if GPS existed then, so um, it's probably, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> it might have been a, might have been a bad thing because it could have. Could have saved us a few um, kilometres. <laughs> yeah, he liked, he liked to flog oh, people, didn't he, old Titch? Hey, what about 2024, mate? You, are you going to still be around the Olympics, Paris? Is that is that on your on your radar? I hope so, mate. Um, I haven't looked too far past this year. I'm off contract at the end of the year, so um, in a bit of an interesting spot. But I feel like my my body and my mind are still in it, so. Um, there's no reason for me to think think otherwise at this stage. So, yeah, like I'll, I'll be pushing as hard as I possibly can to to get there. And if, if, if I'm not the right person for it, then so be it. But um, yeah, at the moment I'm I'm really motivated to, to continue performing in this in this environment. Oh, mate, love it, Kurt Baker, New Zealand Sevens. Congratulations on the weekend uh, over in LA, mate. Getting the job done over our arch rivals, Fiji. Got one over them now, fifteen fourteen. Uh, wins, so congratulations, mate. All the best for two weeks' time, mate, at the World Cup. you got you got the confidence now heading over there, so so go well, you old dog. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> there he is, Kurt Baker. But honestly, I started my career with uh, playing Kurt when he was playing for one or two. He's at Palmy Boys High, and I was like, who is this cheeky bugger that's playing for fullback for Manawatu? He had a mouth on him, old Curtie Baker. But just the ultimate yeah, computer. Chirpy. Ultimate. Chirpy as they come. But uh, good to see him still running around. He's been in that sevens makeup for a very long time, and he touched on it. Like you, the, what you put your body through? Ooh, man. I remember I used to go back to my room after Titch. Titch was mad, man. Honestly, <laughs> mad. <Yeah. laughs> go back to go back to my room every day, without a doubt. At in the mount, would stay across the road from the spas there. Go back to my room, and you know how like start a preseason can be. You go do squats again, and you go to sit down yeah. on the toilet, and you're like, ah, ah, <laughs> bang, bro. Honestly, every day I just couldn't even walk. Couldn't even get out of my room. And then the next day, got to go run 38 kilometres again and again and again. Oh, bro, it was so hard. Yeah, look, a couple of days on from Argentina. Uh, Argentina's stunning and historic victory over the All Blacks and Crossroads. And pairs that this weekend's test in Hamilton is still not yet sold out if you go by targeted social media marketing. The relationship between New Zealand rugby and the rugby Rugby public in New Zealand seems to be in a precarious position with a coaching saga and all-black sport performance compounded by seemingly deep frustration to the sports administration. So 
Is that starting to affect Kiwis' relationships with our national team, do you think? Tim Murphy, co-editor of the Newsroom, he's had a life in media and observed many public relations situations. Morena, Tim, how are you going? Good morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, not bad, mate. mate. Look, if you're putting together a scorecard for NZR since the start of the Irish series for everything public-facing, how would you rate them? Oh, they'd be running at about a three out of ten. Uh, I think they've either moved too fast, uh, as they did with the, the um, after the second test when Mark Robinson came out and said we're reviewing this straight away, uh, to then you know moving too slow and leaving Ian Foster hanging over in South Africa and press conferences that didn't say anything, and then moving too fast again, saying right we're all behind them and it's all sweet. Um, so they kind of sort of misjudging, I think, the messaging and the comms and, and the relating to the public, yeah. Man, uh, Mark Robinson has been pretty unsettled since he's taken over from Steve Chu and, and there's been many moments where they've handled it extremely poorly. So for Mark Robinson and the board, do, do you feel like they're at risk and do they, do they understand what's going on in the background? Do they have a real inkling of, of how the public are, are handling this and reacting to all what's unfolding? They must do. Uh, you know, they're they're going to be out and about with the community and just get some raw feedback themselves. But the thing with this is it's not a democracy, is it? This, this is not politics where polls can sort of push you out. Um, as a board, I mean, you know, they're, they're voted in by constituent bodies and they'll be pretty happy that they uh, don't have to be as reactive. As for Robinson, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a, an easy run when... The team, your biggest asset, is performing like it is, but but some of that comes from the background, you know, set by the organisation and by the executives. And I think he's just misplayed several times, you know, uh, the kind of messaging that might have probably settled things for Foster, you know, earlier in this, and then being able to act now, um, you know, more decisively. So what do we look after this game or after the Bledisloe? What are they left with? Uh, in taking action, you know. Hey, Tim, we went to a um, a hui where they said more transparency, you're going to hear more from us, um, but that doesn't seem the case. Where, where do you think this problem towards the media stems from? Well, it's not new, you know. Um, when I was at the Herald, I had quite a bit to do with our sports guys and the photogs who, who deal with, you know, all the sports. And they, I'd say, universally would rate you know, the All Blacks um, within New Zealand rugby as an organisation, not as individuals, but as kind of the management and the, the management of messaging uh, as the hardest to deal with. Um, and, you know, Wynne Gray, who worked for us for a long time there, used to call the media li- liaison people media prevention officers because uh, he was so frustrated always at being able to, you know, just do the job that they thought was needed. So it's not new, um, and you know every sport, and, and you'd know Tony from your time. You know every sport sets out to be open and try to sort of uh, get the best press they can. But if things start to go sideways, um, often the first thing that goes sideways is sort of shutting down, closing down, and and now we've got that situation where you know I think there's even a bit of condescension towards the public from some in the camp. Uh, I was pretty taken aback when Ian Foster after that se- first loss actually to Ireland came out and said well you know now the New Zealand public 
are starting to realise how good a side Ireland is. But the New Zealand public have known for two or three years how bloody good Ireland are. We've been beaten by them mm. twice, and we've seen them. You know, it's, it's kind of like people don't know what we're dealing with here. Is the message we get? We think, well, actually, it's not that hard. You know, I can't. Yeah, so I can't really understand how um, it's still the same when they've had so much success. And they've always had a, a closed door policy in behind the scenes. Like I've been a part of it, and I've I've been in that environment. And when you're a player, you just you know you feel a little bit of mistrust, your mistrust of what's going to be printed and what's going to be said. So for us, and now I'm on the other side, and I can't stand it because I want access to the team. And there's one thing that I notice on the text machine is every other team, win or lose, comes on and fronts the media and their open door policy and they come on our show and they're open. But for me, I struggle to get in there and I struggle to chat to the players and chat to, to the manager. So it's getting very frustrating. So going forward, what, what, what do we need to see? What do we want to see from this All Blacks team, the management, the media, the, liais- the liaisons that are in there? How do they need to fix this? Oh, I think, you know, you've got to, when you say we're going to be open and, and, and sort of uh, be out there and so on they've got to actually follow through on it and even when it's awkward and that's the time when you probably most need to be open and, and uh, you know actually get people out there and they need to probably reassure the players like you've just said that it's not sort of people lying and wait hoping to trip you up all the time and especially actually not from the sports media the sports media often have a much better feel for you know that the pressure's on sports people some of the general media who attend some of the press conferences and things probably are a bit you know, harder and a bit more brutal. But the sports media like you guys and, and uh, you know, lots of the journos who follow the team, they're going to be aware of and be able to kind of understand if someone missteps or says something they probably shouldn't have. You know, um, they understand those pressures. So I think they've got to follow through on, on being open, but also they've got to kind of not talk down to the public and just expect because we're New Zealand Rugby and we're the All Blacks, that people will follow and will pay for those tickets, um, Tony, as you've been talking about, you know, uh, that, that, that it's just not just going to happen as a matter of course. They've got to follow through and be open. Hey, Tim, just talking about the fans and the public perception, um, Twenty, I guess about 20 years ago, before they bought out the Apple iPhone, do you think now when you're talking to the public, especially when you're talking to the fans, and you're taking, they've basically got their, their TV and their media in their hands here, that you can't be condescending to them anymore because they've got so much information at the touch of their fingers. So when you do share those messages with fans, that they actually know what they're talking about. Is that what, what you feel? Yeah, well, partly that, um, and partly that, you know, everybody actually has an ability to talk back, you know. It wasn't just the journos of, of 20 years ago. It's now everybody's got a a way of, you know, putting a message out to their group who puts it out to a wider group and so on. So you've got to be careful on that. But it also, I mean, the social media side of it's given the All Blacks and every sports team vast, you know, opportunities to do good things and put their people out there and a bit more controlled even, you know, some of the fun stuff and some of the access stuff. So I guess they're using that. But but even that, I think, suffers once you get into this cycle of, of trying to, you know, stop messaging getting out there and restricting and, and sort of feeling like you're under pressure and under attack, you go into yourself and even, I, I guess, I haven't been looking at the All Black Social, but I imagine that's a bit of, bit of a sort of a tentative approach at the moment as well. 
Yeah, it is. I, they put up a um, gym post yesterday. I went through the comments yesterday, and there were some ruthless ones. I don't know why I go through comments. I told myself that many years ago. Never read the comments, but I went through it. She's getting pretty pretty uneasy at the moment. But, um, Tim, uh, what what do you think's taken the most damage from what's unfolding in the All Blacks? Do you, do you think it's the, the brand, the All Blacks brand, the, the perception of New Zealand rugby? Is it grassroots level from, from what we're seeing at top? Is that stemming down? What do you think's taking the most damage from the situation? Yeah, I, I reckon it'll be New Zealand rugby rather than the All Blacks because people love to love the All Blacks, you know, and they'll forgive them. As we saw after one decent game uh, and one sort of average South African performance, you know, everyone was, not everyone, but a huge amount of people swung pretty quickly back into, okay, things are turning and looking good now and we love them all again, you know. Um, so I think it's more the rugby union and New Zealand rugby as an organisation and kind of management. It's difficult for them. They don't want the All Blacks to be a sort of an autonomous republic because it's such a big asset and their biggest kind of brand and everything that if they let it get out of totally out of their control, then it'll be its own thing and the union will kind of lose some influence. So they, there's always been a tension between the union um, in, in communications terms and the All Blacks, I think, as an organisation that they've not wanted to let them be too independent and too much the sort of brand of their own. But I think, yeah, I think it's New Zealand rugby that, that has the longer term issue rather than the All Blacks as, as a brand and as a kind of a group because people love them and want to love them. Yeah. So question, how do you think Silver Lake's feeling? Silver Lake. <laughs> yeah, God, one of those bloody investments where you turn around and suddenly <laughs> the market turns on you um, and your assets <laughs> kind of underperforming and you lift the lid and it's all not quite so good. But Again, I guess those guys have got to be longer term, don't they? That they're not going to want yeah. something next year, or that they'd love the World Cup, and that might still happen. But you know, um, I, I imagine they had the longer term sort of sit the money there and see what happens. Mm. Hey, just one more question before we let you go, Tim. Mark Robinson's public persona. Does he need to be careful about getting too far offside with the punters, or is, is he, you know, the C, he's the CEO, and people just have to have to get on with it? Yeah, well, again, we're not sort of able to vote him off, are we? Uh, and and that board and the chair came out at that press conference and sort of patted him on the back and said we support both Ian and Mark 100%. So, you know, and by all accounts, he's a smart guy. Um, and you'd think that with the chance now to breathe, if given that they're not going to sack the coach this week or next, that for him, there'd be some support around him as well, trying to say, OK, what do we do now? And how do we get the messaging and the image and the kind of control back um, so I'd imagine there'll be a lot of work going on at his quarter as well Beautiful, thank you for your time Tim Murphy editor of the newsroom, we appreciate it mate thank you so much and uh, we'll hopefully right. get you on shortly, appreciate it There is Tim Murphy um, wow, pretty honest and on the money there and just current situation that New Zealand rugby is feeling, you, you enjoy that one there Louis? I did listening to Izzy and Kempe for breakfast on SENZ. We are 16 away from 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, Loveracing.nz is your home for everything thoroughbred racing. We know that they are racing's biggest fan. And now the Grand Tour Racing Festival is coming to you. Eat, drink and get racy. Round up your crew and book now. Izzy, that sounds like a bit of you. Eat, drink, and get oh, ra- get racy. I'm in. 
Where are we going? Round, we'll find out. Round up your crew and book now at the ground, thegrandtour.nz. Okay, you've got Izzy's attention. Let's go to Dan Smith. He's the general manager of customer at NZTR. Morning, Dan. How are you doing? Morning, team. How are you? It sounds like we've sold our first ticket to the tour, which is great to hear, so I'll send that on. <laughs> I'm in, bud. I'm in. What, uh, what are we buying a ticket to, Dan? <laughs> can you, can you, what are we buying a ticket to? But you've got us. It's, I always uh, do that. I was just about to say he's, he's bought it without knowing it, so that's some, some trust in that. <laughs> but I know I'm I mean, good at that, mate. The thing, so I guess if we step back... You know, as a sport, we all love the racing game. From a thoroughbred perspective, we know we have some great big days. We know across the regions we have some huge days with the West Coast and some of those smaller parts of our community. So we know that we've got a great sport. And I guess the the challenge that we all have faced for probably quite a while now is that we need to do more to share that story and to share those big days and to grow the sport. And I guess there was an opportunity off the back of the stake increases, so... TAB performed really well last year, and obviously that gave us the opportunity to inject seven million of stakes into our calendar for the current year. And I guess we we sort of saw it as an opportunity where, again, all the big sports. You look at the the golf with the majors, the, the tennis with the slams. You know, the footy seasons are coming into the final. I guess we've got some great big we've got some great big days in New Zealand racing with with great brands with with big iconic audiences. But what we don't probably do is we don't sell them to the mainstream audience as, I guess, you know, hey, this is where racing in New Zealand shine. Hey, it's a great day at the races. We know if you can put someone in front of a thoroughbred at the racetrack, it's a, it's a mesmer, mesmerising experience. So I guess what we're saying is, hey, we've got 20 big days. We've worked with our major clubs, which has been great, and they've been, um, you know, really supportive in that. But with, with what we're trying to say is, how as a sport, you know, we've got Hastings coming in a couple of weeks. We always look forward to Tarzino. We then go to Christchurch. We then head, head into the uh, Alizy period, which will look a bit different this year with Pookie. And then we sort of head into Wellington. We've got the Cup Carnival there. And then the three-year-old racing, which we all look forward to with the Oaks and the Derby. So coming together, and I guess in, perf- in a perfect world, in five years' time, we'd like to, for New Zealand... As a, as a sport for them as we, as we think about the Melbourne Spring Carnival and thoroughbred racing there we really want the Kiwi connection with racing to think about the Grand Tour and I guess what, what's going to be really different with this marketing is that it is going to be very disruptive it's not going to be what people think racing is what we're trying to connect to is a new audience to get them on track and to be part of our sport No, you, well, you just you found your poster boy Daggy, stand up. This is this is Izzy written all. All over. I need from you, Dan Smith, is a nice wee, nice front row car park at uh, Rickerton there in Cup Week, and I'm your man, mate. I'm your DJ man, DJ Dag. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if my budget will extend to that, but let me work on that. <laughs> hey, um, Dad, it sounds like you're kind of taking the shame out of going to the races and on these big days and not seeing a horse, which is like I get it. I, you know, I love my racing, but I also understand that we need to grow the sport, and it's not necessarily always about the actual sport at a race day. There's, there's a going and having a dollar ticket each way on a horse, and you know, getting distracted and drinking some verve or whatever it is. It's fine, you know. Each to their own but there's nothing that is for this grand tour that for the the racing like you're not adding points up horses that race throughout it there's no actual um difference to the racing is there that's what i'm kind of getting 
No, and I, so when we were designing this, we're saying, hey, these days are there. I mean, you know, the third day at Christchurch Cup yeah. Week, it's a huge day. You know, I was there a few years ago, 15,000 people. Obviously, we've come off the back of COVID. You know, everyone wants to kind of stretch their legs and get into the events and get out there. So, I mean, the timing's good from our perspective with that. You know, the, the first two days at Hastings, we think there's potential to grow, but Livermore Day, again, is always a huge day. So it's not saying that we do have some of these days which punch well. What we're saying is that, hey, let's, Let's all bring them up. Let's put an overarching promotion and campaign and festival around it. And let's actually have a go at trying to drive greater interest and a new audience. And I think there's a, there's a couple of really good data points. Um, like, So we know that there's about 90,000 Kiwis that will go to a racetrack you know, most months on average. But we also know there's 1.3 million Kiwis who love socialising. They love going out with their mates. They love events. You know, that whole modern gig sort of um, audience, that 25 to 35-year-old age group. So we know if we can sort of talk about racing differently, promote it as actually an event, you know, there's a whole lot of benefits. You know, we've got challenges around perception of racing. We've got challenges around welfare. We've got challenges across the board around, you know, our sport. But actually, if we can get new people on course, have a good time with your mates, experience a race day, which we all know that when you're there, it's, it's a great day if you're there with your friends. It doesn't need to be much more than a bit of music, a fun time, and, and a comfortable experience with your friends. So oh. if we can create that, and we're working with our, our clubs, you know, that's, that's for us going to make the difference. And as I say, in five, ten years' time, if people say, hey, the Grand Tour starts at Tarzino Day, are we getting there, guys? I guess that's the success metric. Oh, but again, it. with Melbourne, you know, the, the, spring, the spring carnival took a decade to build. You know, we think about spring now, we think about Mooney Valley coming on with Cops Plate right through to Cup Day with Flemington. You know, that's almost naturally part of um, how we think about that. And I guess I, our, our nirvana here is, you know, the Grand Tour becomes that for New Zealand racing. Oh, I'd, I'd love it, Dan. I appreciate the ambition and what you're trying to do. I'm thinking a little bit laterally. And Kempe, he looks 35, and he is your man for Live all Day. Because just ask me, it'll be just ask me what song you want to play standing behind the DJ decks, won't it, Kempe? Oh, do you remember... <sighs> Early time, September. Live you know that song, brother. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. You got Izzy in the car park. You got me going oh, on and on. You're, the, you're at the Livermore. September. Yeah. And I'm going to offer my services for Christchurch Cup. There you go, Dan. You got two absolute champions wrapped, ready to help out, mate. So I guess I get one over. Way, we've already we've already nailed our um, promo music and themes and all that. We probably. We probably forgot to think about you as the uh, the lead act, but maybe next year we can think about that. Oh. Wow! Wow! <laughs> you know, you know the price doubles next year, Dan. Back in your That's place, it. SENZ breakfast. <laughs> Give me breakfast. And I, and I, it would be remiss of me to act that it's great to have uh, SENZ as the the major partner for the event. So obviously, our relationship with with you guys and um, obviously your growth in the New Zealand market and, and being a partner kind of just sort of cements that relationship, which is great as well. Love it, Dan. Perfect. Appreciate it, so, mate. So look yeah. out. I mean, it'll be, there's going to be a really strong digital and outdoor campaign. Like it should be, you, hopefully you see it everywhere. Hopefully it drives interest. And as I say, hopefully it attracts that new audience that we can get more people on track and, and grow the game. There you go. GM of customer, now. NZTR. Is he, I knew you'd love that. It's so far in your wheelhouse, isn't it? I'm excited now, like, because the sun's shining and Cup Week in Christchurch is the greatest week of, of events in, man, you know, I have to say, it is so good. And if you're out of town, come. 
You will not be disappointed. It is so good. Anyone got a pool house booking that week? <laughs> yeah. Hey, why don't we take the show down there for the week? Why don't we take the show down there for the week? We will, mate. We'll be there. Yeah. Well, I'll be here, so <laughs> you know where I'll be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come yeah. on down, lads. Love it. Saturday at my house, we'll start here, then we'll whip over to Rickerton, we'll get a nice car park, and we'll just chip away during the day. And maybe we'll even do the good oil fill-up there. What do you reckon? There you go. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Eight away <laughs> from it. nine. Uh, that's Dan Smith at NZTR. Love racing.nz. Appreciate his time. Smithy, the doyen, up after this. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Maccas, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.